Hey, this is Alex Terranova, and this is the Dream Mason Podcast. We've been taught to behave, to fit in, to follow the rules, but Dream Masons reject conventional thought. Dream Masons are rebels. They take a chisel to the marble that is typical traditional life. They carve out brilliance and broadcast it to the world. Join me for another chapter as we unmask convention, embrace the rebels within us, and more deeply come to explore the complex and agitated edges of our existence. Now, before we get started, please don't be a rebel yet and grab your phone and hit that little button that says subscribe. Thank you. Because your dreams don't build themselves. What's up and welcome back to the Dream Mason podcast. I am your host, Alex Terranova. And we're like two plus years into this podcast, probably like 150 episodes or so. I don't know why I keep saying your host, Alex Terranova. You should know this already if you're listening. Um, and if you're not listening and it's your first time, well, it's still probably not an accident. My picture is on the cover of the the, uh, the podcast. I think it says my name too. But welcome back to the show. We are, man, I was talking to somebody yesterday about how it's August 2020 when this episode is being recorded. And for so many people, this is like such a crazy year. I mean, for all of us, really, regardless of how well or not well you're doing. But at the same time, how fast it's also flying by. Everyone I talk to is like, this year is going so fast, which seems counterintuitive. Usually when things suck, they go slow. And when things are fun, they go fast. And I think a lot of people aren't having a lot of fun. And yet the year is going fast. And one of the things that I've touched on so much on this podcast is, and brought on people who are speaking to this also is, hey, that we can control what we can control and we can't control what we can't control. And that's something we're going to dive in today. It's going to be a lot about creativity and creating things. Um, but that's something I just want to keep hammering home. It's one of the things I love about being able to do this podcast is every week I get to create, you know, whether it be with a guest or I get to write something myself. Um, even I got asked the other day, I'm going to be on somebody else's podcast and they were like, Hey, can you write like a poem or something and start the episode with that? And I was like, absolutely. I had no idea what I was going to write. And I wrote something, but to the, the challenge of like, Hey, I, the one, something that I can control in my life is always being creative and creating things. And I know that often I and so many of us fall into the trap of like, oh, it's not good enough, or I don't have the right lighting or the right background, or I don't have a platform, I don't know what I'm gonna do with it. We come up with all this nonsense that gets in our way. And I think right now more than ever, this is a time to be creating because there's so many things we can't do that are out of our control. It gives us freedom to be able to do things that maybe we weren't doing before that maybe we can do. For some people, that's like people are going out in nature because they hadn't spent a lot of time. Uh, I think people, if you're not maybe a nature person, maybe this is a time to spend time writing something, painting something. I actually saw a friend of mine had painted all these self-portraits the other day. I had no idea he could paint. And I was like, oh, that's like kind of cool, a different way to like express himself and, and live a full life. So let's get into this episode. I'm gonna introduce you to our guest. And we're going to talk about her experience. She, is, she has traveled to over 40 countries, which is incredible in itself. I think I've probably traveled to like maybe 10, maybe, maybe like 15. 
because I bounced around Europe a lot. But so 40 countries, that's incredible. Most Americans probably haven't been to 40 states. I actually counted the other day. And I think I'd been to like 30 something states. And I thought that was a lot. And 40 countries is a whole nother thing. So she's been to over 40 countries. She lived in China. She was a Fulbright scholar. She is a writer, actor, director, and a comedian. She runs the writer's room for the YouTube channel Night Pants. And if you go onto her social media, you get to find that she has tons of like sketches that she writes. So that's where this idea of like, I wanna know how she creates, how she's constantly creating. Her social media, well, her Instagram is Kristen Van Nest. And I'm gonna also, that's her name also. I should have just flipped that. That was funny what I did. But uh, welcome to the podcast, Kristen. How are you? Thanks. I'm good. Hanging in here. Yeah. You told me before you're in LA. Uh, what area in LA are you in? West Hollywood. What's it like in West Hollywood, which is West Hollywood, which is typically like a pretty active social area? Yeah. I mean, LA is one of the hotbeds, so it's completely shut down here. Um, so yeah, it's very different than how LA normally is, especially West Hollywood, which is pretty vibrant. So yeah, all the restaurants are shut down and, um, I mean, we'll meet socially sometimes like social distance, six feet apart in the park with masks on. So that's kind of the only social and uh, I'd say doing a significant number of Zoom calls. But other than that, it's me home alone in my pajamas all the time. (laughs) So you live by yourself? Uh, I live with my boyfriend and uh, a number of fish and a cat and a dog. And now tons of plants as we try to adjust to not having access to nature as much. So basically bringing the outdoors inside. Uh, yes. I want to, I want to hear what it's like to be, is he trapped in this apartment with you? I mean, nobody's like trapped anymore, right? Like people actually going outside and doing things, but are you, you, but we are more, a lot more isolated still than we were pre, you know, 2020. How is it, what's the impact of being in an apartment Yeah, well, I moved in during COVID, so we were living separately, um, and then it's like, well, we're the only two people who can see each other, (laughs) so it's like, maybe we should move in, so, um, but luckily, I have my own office, and so I'm very grateful that we each have our own spaces, especially when we're working, uh, just so that we can be productive. Um, I feel for people who are in a studio apartment Oh with my God. living yeah. with, with their partner, um, which I mean, you know, and a lot of my friends in New York who are in tiny apartments. I mean, it's, I just can't, it's just really tough being inside a lot. Um, I have my own methods of dealing with it, but, uh, what are those yeah. methods? Wait, tell us those methods. People need those methods. Okay. My methods. Well, I have different ones. Uh, I do a lot of walks and productivity wise, especially for creative, like if most of the creative books that you'll read, like Brenda Eulin, Julia Cameron, a lot of them talk about the importance of walks just because when you're at your desk, you kind of get in a specific zone. And especially with creativity, you need to readjust how you're thinking about something so that you can come back with it to it with fresh eyes. Um, So I love going on walks and kind of, especially when I'm writing screenplays or scenes, 
uh, just visualizing the characters talking to each other, um, which I guess is one way of dealing with the loneliness of COVID is uh, having a bunch of characters that you're working on that you can listen to have dialogues. Um, so I go on a bunch of walks and, um, and that's like a, like, I, I mean, for me, COVID has become an extremely creative time uh, because all of the distractions are gone, you know, networking, going to parties, getting drinks with your friends, all of that is gone. You know, having, getting constant text messages. Yeah. That's all kind of disappeared. And so I think for creatives, that's a very beautiful thing because you have that like peaceful time where you can reflect and really work on your work. Um, so for me, that's, this time has been very creative and productive. Um, I yeah. love that. I love that you like you utilize walks. I'm, I'm like totally with you when I sit and just like try to write. I don't know if I've ever talked about this pre like, it's been a while, but like in my twenties growing up in LA and living in LA, I worked in restaurants and bars and like everyone that was around me was a writer or an actor. I wasn't any of those things, but I learned how to write because of it. And in my twenties, I ended up writing probably, I don't know, between seven and 10 like feature scripts and like TV shows. Um, I never really, I didn't know what I was doing. I just really did it because I was like enjoying the process. And now I look back and some of those things I play with, but I, I typically didn't get ideas like sitting at a desk, like put a computer in front of me and say, go. It was like through moving around. There was something about like the kinesthetic mi mixing with the creativity, let things bloom. And then obviously you had to sit down to like put it on paper, but like moving around, let it flow. Oh yeah. Like, um, I find that if I sit down and I'm like, I'm doing work, I am going to write. Usually that writing isn't that great, uh, which, but at the same time, like you were saying, like building, you have to get your 10,000 hours in. And I believe writing is a skill. And so you do have to just write every day. But I think if you're just gonna sit down and be like, I'm writing, you're probably not going to have as good quality as sitting down, writing, getting up, taking a walk, thinking about what you wrote, think about the scene, what's not working, what's working, coming back to it and looking at it. So I think there's like this huge piece of the process that isn't just at your desk. Um, and I also think a huge part of building something good, a good creative project is getting feedback. Um, and I think for with COVID, it's actually easier to get feedback than it was before. Uh, for me personally, I'm in some accountability groups where for an hour every morning, an hour every night, whoever wants to can just log on and we just do a Zoom call on, like we chat for 15, 20 minutes and then we do a Zoom call on mute for an hour where it's like everyone is in their own rooms writing. Um, and through that, I kind of have this very big creative network that is keeping me accountable, but also people that I'm like, hey, can I send you this piece that I'm working on? Um, I'd love, you know, I'll read one of your things, you read one of mine things, and we just trade work. And that way we're getting that constant feedback. And it's so much easier to get feedback now with Zoom and the internet because, you know, we don't have, like, you lived in LA, we don't have to get in traffic for like half an hour to get somewhere, meet up, share notes 
instead we can just hop on a zoom call. So I feel like it's been easier to collaborate with people in certain ways, mm -hmm. uh, that, that a lot of people can leverage to stay creative during this time. Yeah, that's a great, it's a great point too, like how you utilize each other. The mo when I was writing the most I ever wrote was when I lived with two people. One was a writer who's very, pretty successful now. And at the time he was like in earlier stage in his career and the other one was an actor. And so we were always having these like kind of watching things, talking about it. Like it's be like, I have this idea and they'd give you instant feedback. And what's cool is right we weren't going to live together forever we were like three guys in our 20s ever since we stopped living together my writing kind of faded because i never set up another accountability structure now when i look at like as a coach and working with lots of coaches and coaching coaches and, and coaching people that do all sorts of things one of the main things that has i think separates people from being successful is accountability in whatever they do so whether it be fitness or your business, you know, if you're an entrepreneur, you don't have an office to go into to be held accountable to things. So creating those structures is really important. And it's cool to see like, hey, as writers, like we are doing this just by choice. We've like set up these spaces and people show up and we help each other. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's, I mean, there's only so much you can do by yourself. Mm -hmm. Like, I think some people see like, oh, they see these kind of cult of personality, famous creatives. And they're like, oh, that person was a genius. And they probably were, but they also had so many people around them. I mean, if you read about Hemingway or Picasso, like they had these networks around them that constantly gave them input. And so I think creativity is so much you know, we hear about the individuals, but it's so much of a collaborative effort um, when you're really refining and making quality work. When I started getting, now I didn't when I was writing creatively in my 20s because I didn't know what I was doing. So all feedback was like, please like teach me because I have no idea. When I was writing my book, like over a year, it took me about four years to write my book, but like when I was writing my book and I would get feedback, it was actually really hard for me to take in because I took it, my brain was making it really personal, right? Somebody would be like, I think you should change this. Here are these errors, whatever. And, and my brain would hear it and go, you're stupid. You're not a good writer. And the breakthrough for me happened in a moment where I went, wait a minute, all these people that are giving me feedback are actually here to help me. These are not haters that are like trolling me online. These are people that want me to publish a book that are here to support me. And I had to have that moment where I went, everything that they're giving me is here to help and support and make my book come to life. And then all of a sudden I was able to hear feedback from like a new, from new eyes and a fresh space and it was helpful. And I know feedback for a lot of people can be difficult, right? People get defensive. What have you like learned about embracing, accepting feedback, but also giving it in ways so people can hear it. Yeah, so um, especially I'm in the entertainment industry, especially in the entertainment industry, right? Like when I first moved here, a huge thing is being easy to work with because you don't want to work with someone who's difficult. It, make, it slows everything down. It ruins the experience. So that was advice that I got very upfront here um, because some people haven't been able to figure that out. So my view with notes is, um, like you said, everyone's trying to help you and it's not out of malice and it's not, you know, it's because they like your work and they believe in your work and they want it to be better. So I think for everyone, myself included, it's hard to get notes first because it feels personal. 
uh, but you have to remember that those people actually really care about you, which is why they're taking the time to do it. And even if you don't agree with the note, my view is I always say thank you and I'm always appreciative and I'll go back and I'll think about all, my, all the notes I received and some of them I might not use. That's part of the process. At the end of the day, I get to choose what I use and what I don't use, but I listen to all of it and there's the, while you're receiving notes, always be courteous and grateful. Even if in your head you have that voice that's like, Oh, like how dare they say this about my work or whatever, you know, sometimes we get that and that's part of it. That little like feeling of ego and, and frustration of, Oh, I work so hard on this and they're not getting it. And then sometimes that's the initial reaction. Then it's like, Oh, well, I'm not making it clear enough. And this is a note that I can improve. But while you're getting notes, you should always be grateful and thankful um, so that you encourage people to help you more. That's like my first thing on notes. And then the second thing is, um, you know, take all the notes. And then usually what I do is a lot of times I'll get notes that are the complete opposite. And so then it's like, which note do you listen to? Um, so whatever, if I get the same note multiple times, I'm like, oh, I definitely need to change this. Well, if I get a note and I'm like, mm, I'm not sure. And they're the only person that comments it, then I'm like, oh, this is an outlier. So this outlier probably isn't something that I should change. But I think like at the end of the day, like you said, everyone cares about you and they care about your work, which is why they're taking the time to look at it. So always be grateful and thankful. And then afterwards, you know, um, you know, make those changes and remind yourself they're not about you. I've seen with a couple other creatives where they have one project that they throw themselves into. And obviously your work is going to be better if you throw your work into it. But it's, you have to remind yourself, it's the skill that you're building. And so that one project, if that project fails or doesn't go anywhere, obviously it's soul crushing, but it's not your only baby. You can have another baby and you're going to have other projects. And so you have to remind yourself in perspective that other things are going to come down the line as long as you just keep going. If you're writing or you're creating every single day, you're going to get there. And so if you get too if your ego gets too attached to one project or the fear that this is your only one hit that you're going to ever have, that's going to hold you back. You are going to have other things as long as you keep creating. You just touched on two things that I think are so relevant, even like any, for anybody anywhere that are trying to achieve anything. One is when you were talking about the, the um, getting the feedback and you were like, how do I like siphon through it? It reminded me of um, the idea of, we're typically programmed to like agree or disagree with everything. So I give you feedback and you're like, I'm wearing headphones right now, right? The automatic headphones take it in and go, do I agree with this or not? Do I agree with so-and-so said I should change a character to whatever? Do I agree or disagree? Well, if I agree, then I change it. If I disagree, then I like slap it away and, and I ignore it. And what I like to think about is like, that's so limiting. You get two options where, and people, we don't even realize that we're doing this automatically where we can go, wait a minute, let me just like digest it. Let me just sit with whatever they said. And maybe five other things will come out of what they said. They said I should make, you know, Bonnie the villain a vampire instead of whatever. Well, I don't really, I don't know. How does that make sense? And all of a sudden, maybe I realized Bonnie the villain should be um, a scarecrow, but that was never even on the table. <laughs> 
right? Be- because if I just agreed or disagreed, it would have just, it was either vampire or not vampire versus a whole new possibility that ensues by like letting it sit and marinate and seeing what's like available. And yeah, totally. No, yeah. what were you, you were Well, that's something. why, yeah, that's why my process is take all the notes, right? I just, when people give me notes, I just literally write, I type every word they say. Yeah. And so that way, because if you try and decide on the spot, like you said, you're not letting it percolate. And sometimes someone, sometimes there's like a little problem with a script or whatever you're working on. And the problem, there's really like, it's a bigger issue or something else. So if you just focus on the problem and you don't take time to think about it and why it's a problem, you're really missing out on the real note, the real gift that someone is giving you to make your creative project better. I, I don't remember the second part that I was going to touch on, so it's okay. We're just going to keep going. Um, <laughs> I should. I almost wrote it down and I didn't. I want to. I'm curious how you know. I touched on that you've lived in 40 countries, and I want. I'm curious how that has impacted your ability to create. Like, what have you learned or taken in from all those experiences that help you? write and create all the things that you're creating? Yeah. So I do comedy mainly. Um, and so a lot of that, obviously I've, I lived in Shanghai for three and a half years. I did a Fulbright. I lived in Luxembourg for a year and I've briefly lived in Paris and then I've traveled a lot. So as a foreigner in a country, you're the awkward one. Like you're the one who doesn't understand the norms of that country. So that is the like ripe with comedy. Uh, so for me, a lot of those experiences, I can remember like this awkward thing that happened and then I'm like, oh, that would be great for a script. Um, or that would be great for my creativity because, because I've been like the weird, awkward person so many times. Um, and I also think just seeing to be the weird, awkward person means that you're out of the cultural norms of the place. So it's made me hyper aware of what the cultural norms are in different countries um, and how we kind of identify as people. Because at the end of the day, the human experience is the same, but what is culturally okay, what's not culturally, culturally okay, that changes by country. So I think through through the experience of traveling and living in other countries, I've seen how other people live, which makes it easier for me to reflect on my own country, especially since the U.S. is going through its own identity crisis right now. I mean, we don't know who we are and we're, we're grappling. It's all kind of come to the forefront, a lot of the negative aspects. Um, so I think a lot of that um, when you've traveled and when you've seen how other people live and how other people view their governments and how other people view their role within, within their community, that, um, becomes hyper clear. Uh, like in the U S our identity is very closely tied to our political stance. Um, so sometimes it, I feel like, especially now, everything is kind of weirdly political when it shouldn't be. (laughs) Um, And so that's just part of the American culture. You know, we root for our team. We root for our political party. And that's something that there, I mean, France is another country that's very much like that. Um, But not all countries are like that. Yeah, that's a, um, 
it's funny too because when you look back on a, on a, on a micro micro scale microcosm think like if we, we all can think back to high school and like how high schools had like prep ra- pep rallies and things and how like there were some people that got so into it right and then there were some people that just were like well, this is so ridiculous and we could say those are the two sides but it's kind of like I, I get what you're saying in the sense of that's kind of a funny way to look back is like if you look at us as a country we're like hyper into the pep rally yes oh yeah no we're not we might have the pep rally might be split like it might be like um you know like we're voting for who we want to be like the homecoming queen but like we're very we're so attached i love it like i mean i find it really frustrating like everything has to do with politics you, you say that you like, somebody said to me the other day, they, I was picking something and I was like, yeah, I'll take the red one. And they were like, oh, I didn't see you as like a red kind of person. And I was like, <laughs> I, but at first I was like, wait, is that a political, like red being right? Or is it like, like that means something? It was like a whole, I was just, it was just funny, right? That I was like, what does that mean? They're like, well, you're just like more of a blue kind of person. <laughs> and I was like, Okay, like, I, you know, but I think like we do this, it actually, I don't know what it is about here that makes us feel comfortable. We like, I mean, I think all humans like putting things in boxes. It makes us understand better. We like how like putting, categorizing everything. It's just like a, it's a thing about humans. How does, how does this impact, like when you're writing comedy, you know, I think something I heard from, um, I don't know if it was Jerry Seinfeld or Ricky Gervais. It was, it was one, or it might have been even Eddie Murphy. It was like in one of those like riding cars with comedians. Okay, yeah, and they yeah. were, I don't remember which one because those are like two, those three on those episodes have like stood out as like to me as some of the best ones. But they talk about how part of comedy is knowing where the line is and purposely going beyond it. Like normal society, we don't do that. That's not appropriate to like walk into a coffee shop, go what's appropriate and go purposely you know, to strip down and be naked in a coffee shop because you think it's going to be funny. That's not what people go to coffee shops for. But when we sign up for comedy, we're actually saying we want to go beyond the line. Like, that's part of what it is. And I think that it's interesting because it also exposes beliefs that we have, right? Like racial jokes, sexual jokes, like things that we do actually tap into something that we believe as a group or as people. And so one might say like, Hey, it's, it's, it's kind of adding to, do you have any, do you ever come upon this? Like when you're creating like, man, I, I think this is so funny and I really want to say it, but like this could really like, some people could really get hurt or offended by this. Yeah. So I think it's been interesting, especially with cancel culture, uh, about things that comedians have said in the past because that line is always moving. And so things that you could say in the 90s, I mean, watch any movie from the 90s and you're just like, oh my God, right? You're like, this is really uncomfortable because that line is changes. So we held comedians today, I mean, a lot have had issues with things that they've said in the past. And for me, it's, well, how do they feel about it now? Um, can they recognize that maybe something that they said hurt people today? Um, and so it's not like, oh, they said that in the nineties. So, you know, we should hate them now. 
no, the line was different. And by saying it, they were kind of on the edge and making society uncomfortable in a way that they think about it. But if they're still standing by something they said in the 90s today, when they're aware that that's hurt um, disenfranchised groups, for me, that's a problem. Um, And I think creating today is especially hard. Like one of my friends is a writer on Veep and Veep basically had to end because, you know, uh, they basically, they were writing the show and then Louise Dreyfus unfortunately um, had cancer. So they had to pause writing. And during that period where they were paused, plot lines that they had written actually happened in the news. So they were like, okay, well, we can't make a comedy show about this anymore because it's happened. Do you know so, one of the, do you know an example of that? I never, I know Veep, like I never um, watched it, but I've like seen a few episodes. Like, do you know any? I'm trying curious. to think of examples. I mean, so there was, well, there was recently that interview with Axios that came out this weekend. And yeah. so everyone was really, was saying it's like Veep. Well, it's created and co-produced by HBO. So the production team was the same as Veep. <laughs> so if you look at the editing, it's the same as Veep. Um, but like, for example, I know like, I, I don't, I'm not, I can't think of one that was canceled, but like, you know, Jonas has one where he's an anti-vaxxer and then he gets smallpox and then everyone who comes to his rallies gets smallpox (laughs) and they can like trace it on the map. And I mean, that's kind of happening right now. So, except with COVID. So there's like, I can't think of a specific examples, but there were literal things that they were, and so now they had to, I mean, they had to end the show because they could not write a parody because the reality was parody. So right now in comedy, everyone, no one wants really dark stuff. They don't want dark content. They want really fluffy and fun and light because that is their, that's their release from the reality of how stressful it is right now. Um, So I think in comedy, like a rule is, you know, don't punch down, never make fun of disenfranchised groups. And that depends as an individual who you are, like as a white woman, as um, a gay man, as a straight man, you know, whatever your background is, don't punch down. And so with that line that moves, as a comedian, you need to go a little bit over the line to bring awareness and make people think about culture and their identity. Um, But when you go over that line, don't make fun of people who are in a more difficult situation than you. Make fun of people who are in an easier situation than you. Well, and it's, yeah, and I see it, like, it's so, it seems so obvious, but it's, like, clearly, you know, if you look at your social media, one of the videos I watched was you, like, basically a character that's, like, a real housewife of New York, right? Yes, And had you made that exact same video, and you did blackface and you were like a poor black woman in Louisiana and you did like a, like us, like I'm making this up, but like a, some, like the opposite of a real housewives, like a real housewives of some poor town in Louisiana, it would be highly inappropriate and very offensive. Um, but you doing the real housewives of New York or Orange County or whatever you, whatever you did, was like not offensive at all. And, and I, it's, I like how you said it. It's like, you're not punching, you're like you, I want to say you're punching up or you're punching like at an equal level. Whereas somebody like, um, I'm totally blanking on his name right now, but let's say like, um, 
oh, he's like so famous. I can't believe I'm blanking on his name. What's the, um, he's a writer, he's a producer. He owns his own studio in Atlanta. Like he makes oh, all Tyler the Tyler Perry? Movies. Tyler Perry. Yeah. Tyler Perry can do what I just said. You know, he obviously doesn't have to do blackface, but he can do, he could parody that thing because it's the same, it's essentially the same, like it's, it's not necessarily that he's on that level, but he's within that community. So it's not like I'm making fun of something that, first of all, I think I don't know anything about. I don't know what it's like to be them. I don't know what it's like to be in those shoes. But it's something that, it's, I don't even know how to say it well, but it's like, I really like how you said, I've never heard somebody say, don't punch down. Because we are often punching down. When you're at the table with your family and your uncle says something inappropriate or your dad or your mom or whoever, often it's a punch down, which is why people are like, you should, that's messed up. That's fucked up. Don't say that. Yeah, and I think sometimes people will say, like comedians will say things that punch down and then they're like, oh, it's free speech. You know, I'm being revolutionary. And it's like, no, you're doing like hack comedy from the 1950s. <laughs> like what kind of revolution are you in? <laughs> Do you know what time period we're in? Um, and and so I think it's really like the, pr- the purpose of com- comedy is to like shine a mirror on society. And if your humor is hurting people, how are you really shining a mirror? If you're really doing what society is already sadly doing. So I really think it's about comedy is about making us think about, you know, who is going through difficult things and who's not and laughing at that. But the first step is you have to recognize it. And why I love comedy specifically over drama is because people do disagree about things as, and as you know, especially today, right? Everyone has their team, but if you're making them laugh, they'll listen to your differing view longer because they're being entertained. And so I think that's the beauty of comedy is it allows you to kind of open the door between, between people's differences and really let, let them think about what you're saying in a way that's not aggressive or I'm right. It's like just letting them have that moment where they can think about something that's different than what they see in their life. And I think that is like the really beautiful magic of comedy. When you're creating, like whether it be for, you know, your, like if people want to like look at your content, obviously I shared your Instagram, Kristen Van Nest, um, and you have a ton of like little kind of sketches and things on there. Are there other places people can like look at what you've, what you're doing or what you've created? Yeah. I, on Twitter, I do a lot more just like, you know, like one-off comments on what's going on. Um, and I think a lot of people get their news from Twitter now, which is a good and a bad thing. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I love the internet and especially as the creator, I think, you know, we talked about how editing things and getting feedback is how you make something really, really good. I love the internet because it's very much a flat, flat playing field. Anyone can play. And everything that I do isn't great. That's okay, though, because I'm learning and I'm making things better. And I get feedback from seeing like what people like, what people don't like. And a lot of the friends who are doing really well during this time, they aren't afraid to like put out that tweet and see how people respond or put up that funny video on TikTok and see if people like it. Sometimes they bomb. Sometimes they do really well. But as long as you're still creating, you're getting that practice in and you're getting feedback. And 
for me, I see the internet as that kind of tool where anyone can play. It's way more maybe democratic than the traditional ways of like, you know, showbiz baby, right? Like the internet, anyone can do it. Um, and so I feel like when I feel like, like you were talking about in the beginning of this talk about how you have that voice in your head that's like, oh, well, it's not good enough or it's not ready or blah, 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 blah. The internet is a great way to kind of experiment with all that. Um, and, it, you know, again, maybe sometimes you'll say something that makes people angry on Twitter or whatever. Um, my view is delete it just because you don't want to offend people, but also learn from it. If someone's like, hey, you shouldn't be using that word or like that's actually offensive to certain people, like, great, you've learned that and you're not going to do it again because now you know. So I think the internet is kind of a really beautiful thing I, and there are obviously bad parts to it. Um, a lot of bullying, especially when people say certain things, but, um, it's a great way to learn and you can do it, especially with COVID there. You have the excuse to do it with like your terrible lighting in your basement. You know, <laughs> people are not judging on that as much as before all this happened. So, yeah. What keeps you, um, let me say this differently. Like what, I think one of the things that I, it doesn't matter if you're an actor, a comedian, um, you know, a uh, a lawyer, a doctor, a coach, like everybody's wanting to create content. I actually I know a lawyer who, when he was sitting around with a bunch of other lawyers, they're like, "Hey, how do we get clients right now?" And the lawyers were all like throwing around all these old ideas that aren't relevant during COVID. And he was like, "I think you know, I'm going to create a YouTube channel where I basically talk about like." the type of law that he does. And I'm going to like educate people and just provide this for free. And obviously like, if you don't need that, you're not going to go to that YouTube channel. Right. But like there are people that need it and it's like great free advice and it's a resource and it helps him become relevant. And what I, what I hear from a lot of people, I put up a, I want to say a decent amount of things and I'll record and I'm pretty comfortable just like one take. And like, if it's shitty, oh well, like, you know, we'll just go with it. Um, but I think a lot of people get stuck, right? We do like, oh, the lighting is bad or I said it wrong or I need to say it better. Or even I've tried where like I write it and then I'm like trying to read it, but it looks like I'm reading, right? You try to like make it better. And it's ultimately like, we don't have production crews. We don't have teleprompters. What's the advice for people to, to like really just go out there and swing and try and forget about offending people, simply like not being afraid of like failing or being embarrassed. I think that's what so many people are afraid of. Like they're not going to do it right or it's not going to be good enough, you know, or they're going to be judged. How do you get past like those feelings? You deal with that all the time. Yeah. Um, well, for me, it's one, it's about like the joy you get from what you do. And so so when I do characters, I have the same thing where I'll shoot, like, I'll maybe do like three takes of a character. And then I'm like, okay, I'm picking one of these. And I could spend two hours trying to like perfect it. Um, but that takes the joy out of it for me. And I think that you have to think about why you're doing whatever you're doing, whether it's coaching or fitness or comedy. If you're doing it because you love it, okay, your take isn't perfect, but if you're helping people learn something and you're helping people love what you love, 
put it out there. Um, and so I really think that's like a huge part of it is it's just a fear and a, a thought that you need to be perfect. Guess what? People don't like perfect people. They're annoying. So if you make mistakes, that's fine. People will probably like you better. Like I find when I watch YouTube channels, there's like, there's always, you know, they sometimes leave in outtakes or whatever. And it's like, I'm not like, oh, I hate this person because they said that word wrong. I'm like, oh yeah, they're like me. I say things wrong sometimes, you know? And so I think that there's this like view that if you're, if you're producing something, it needs to be perfect. But at the end of the day, there's a balance between the joy of what it brings you and why you love doing it. And those are, you have to remind yourself of those two things. And that imperfection is fine and makes you relatable because no one's perfect. It's, I love that, um, like allowing and embracing like the, the mess ups. I often tell my mentors when they, I was do, I was actually recording a podcast recently with, I co-host my mentor's podcast. It's called The Coaching Show. And I love, typically I'm like the youngest one on the episode. It's like people that are very experienced, very knowledgeable as coaches and personal development people in the world. And I get to kind of bring like the younger, fresher, like, hey, what does the next generation need to know and learn? And, and there was an episode recently where he came on and he just couldn't get it right. Like he couldn't get the intro right. He's been doing this for like 15 years. And he was like all annoyed and had to start over. And at the end of the episode, he was like, I'm so sorry that you had to like, and I'm like, dude, that's the best. I'm like over here. Like for me, all this is like podcasting is like two and a half years as a, as an entrepreneur, as a coach. It's like, I'm in my like fifth somewhere five to six years to see the person who I regard as like an expert, the best making mistakes and like, like messing up reminds me that it's like okay to be human it's okay to not be perfect and even you know even the the um the larry davids the jerry seinfelds the michael jordans like whoever they we were talking about like mess up all the time we just have decided we just focus more on their successes than yeah. the mess ups and, and we compare we compare our average to other people's best Yes. And I think in the U.S. too, there's more when we talk about different cultures, like if you watch British comedy shows, it's a bunch of comedians kind of improvising together about the news. Well, if you watch American TV shows, it's one person on a late night show, but they have a whole writer's room writing their jokes. They don't write all those jokes. There's like 10 people behind them helping them write those. And so I think, you know, we see like Colbert or Jon Stewart or whoever who are great and funny, um, but we're kind of like, oh, they're perfect every time. You know, they, they, but there's a whole team behind them. And so, you know, it's just remembering that things are, things that are high production value are going to be more perfect and that's okay. And if you're doing small productions, just be yourself. That's what pe people relate with that. They want to listen to someone who they can relate to. And so it's totally fine to make mistakes. And the, uh, the acting TV film comedy space is like notorious for being a space that is, you know, very challenging and difficult to break into. I think, I think it's a myth to think that it's any more challenging than any other great space, right? Like, yeah, if you want to have like a really average job, it's easy to get. That's why they're average jobs. If you want to do something that's like, 
that something that's regarded as exciting or fun or makes a lot more money, whether it be to be in the top real estate person, right? There's a million people doing real estate. There's very few that are like, you know, making seven, eight figures. Um, same thing with lawyers, lots of lawyers. They're not all making millions of dollars. Lots of doctors, same thing that film, TV, writers, artists, comedians, it's no different. It's just on display, right? It's just, it's just in the, in the spotlight. Um, athletes are the same way. There's a lot of, um, people that do these things, but only a few are like the ones that we have the light shining on because of that, it, the pressure, it makes it, um, we have to self-generate, I would say like you, most days you're not going to become a famous comedian or an actress. Like, that's just not how it is. Most days you're going to be doing what you do, whatever you're doing. And hopefully you hit that point where you get over that hump. Most people never will, but it's, it's always possible. How do you keep your focus and your sights on like what's possible and not on like what's actually, you know, maybe the more common or the reality or what you're actually in right now? Yeah. So, I mean, if you look at it from a business perspective, you have your unique selling proposition, which is what is unique about you. Um, and I also think that it's really just that you keep creating. Um, for example, right now, like I'm an actor, COVID's happening. I'm a director, COVID's happening. I can't do either of those things on sets right now. There aren't any jobs because they literally can't shoot. So a lot of people are just kind of sitting at home and don't know what to do because they can't, they believe they can't do what they love. Well, if you love acting, you know, you can make characters online. You can film scenes that you like. I have a group of other, of actors where we read plays and we just are the characters in the plays. And all those things are building the skills. Um, but, but it's also like, I mean, how do you market yourself? So you can do those things by yourself at home alone, which will still make you better, but you can also put them online. I have and I see the people who are really doing well during COVID right now are the ones that just keep creating. And I know that they'll always do well because they just keep creating. You know, like I have one friend who's now reached a million TikTok followers since COVID started. And that's because every single day she has one group of friends. They only see each other. They get tested regularly and they make videos every single day which, I mean, they're actors. A lot of actors are like, oh, well, I can't be on set, so I can't act. Oh, well, I don't have any auditions, so I can't, you know, I can't get a job. If you love doing it, keep doing it. And if you keep doing it, you're getting those 10,000 hours in. But also, as you create those 10,000 hours, how do you market how you're unique? Through creating content that people can see. So again, like YouTube videos, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to just be like, actors and comedians, if anything you're doing, you can make videos. I know when I work out, I have a spin bike and I like watch random people on YouTube to get a workout so that I'm happy, you know, I can't go to the gym. So I have a teacher there. And if I like them, I subscribe to their channel. I don't know who they are. I don't know where they live, but I'm like, oh, cool. I like this person and I'll keep watching their videos. And so I think there's like so many opportunities in that way, as long as you just keep creating. And I would say like with how dark times are right now, like 
I obviously too get into those movement movements moments where I watch the news and I'm like, this is so sad. I don't want to do anything. We all get into those. Um, some of the ways that I deal with that is I limit how much news I watch every day. I only let myself watch half an hour in the morning and half an hour in the evening, just so I'm educated about what's going on, but I'm not sucked into the like heart wrenching drama of it all. Um, I have for productivity and for getting myself to write, I have my accountability groups. I also do morning pages, which is like writing for 10 minutes every morning just to get the like negative thoughts out. It's like, cool, they're on the page. I had them move on. Um, I also will like light candles or go on walks. I'll light candles sometimes when I'm working because instead of just being like, oh, I have to do this. I'm like, okay, the candle's lit. Gotta, gotta work while the candle's burning, you know? So I have like little things that I do to make the experience more enjoyable because I really think like part of, like I said, like doing the best work is about mindset. And so if you're really sad, it's or like doing it because you're like, I have to write today versus I want to write today. The quality is different. Um, and that being said, like we have more time to create, but also we need more time for self-care because it just is really sad. And I like, if you need to do that self-care, do it. Don't force yourself to write, you know, take a bath, go for a walk. I like to drink wine in the evenings, whatever it is, as long as it like helps you recharge, it's important to have that too. Um, so it's a balance of those things. I, um, and you said so many like good things and Gabe, I was going to ask you your tips for being creative and kind of keeping your, your mind right. Uh, the thing that I wanted to, to kind of tack on to what you said is you basically are just talking about practice. Like if you want to be good at something, you've got to practice, which seems like silly that we even have to say this out loud. But I think we forget, like, I don't care what you're up to, what you're doing. If you want to get better at it, just practice, just do it more. Like, None of us were five years old and got on a bike for the first time and were like suddenly like trekking down a mountain. We like fell off. Somebody held it. We had training wheels. And we just forget that like at some point in our life, everything was new and we sucked at everything. Handwriting, like arithmetic, like, and as we get older, the things we want to do, we've, we've got like all these basics covered, but these things we want to do, whether they're like making videos or starting a new business or you know, building furniture, whatever it is, it's just practice. I have a, um, one of my friends, like a really good friend of my, my brother's, she's an actress and she puts, she basically was like, she came up with this idea and I don't know where she got it from, but the last time I saw her, I was like, you're just a genius thing. She bought like a green screen and she bought like cameras and all this stuff. And she set up a space in her house where she makes audition tapes. She's not making them to like send them out. This was even before COVID she basically had this theory that like, I go to auditions to get parts. If I'm not good at auditioning, I'm not going to get parts. Then it's just random luck. But if I can practice auditioning, I'll be better at auditions. I'm only increasing my odds of getting more parts. And I, when I, I, and she puts her, her fake audition videos on her Instagram. <laughs> and some of them are great and some of them aren't. And like, it doesn't actually matter because the whole point is it's practice, right? Yeah. And I think it's funny how we think it's okay in certain areas, right? Like no one has an issue with baseball players going to a batting cage and hitting a ball coming from a machine or a basketball player shooting a million shots with no game going on. 
but in a lot of other industries, we like, it's almost like weird or we, it's, we don't say that it's weird, but like practicing for, um, auditions. Nope. Like who's doing that? Well, you should be if auditions are your job. If I talk about this all the time, like I've given away, I don't know how hundred more, 200 free coaching sessions because the only way I can become good is to do it. And when I started out, who the hell was going to hire me? I wasn't good. I just learned. I had to do it for free. I just had to get reps in. And whether it be 10,000 hours or 500 hours, you're definitely better at 500 hours than you were at zero hours. So I love that you're, you know, you're it's like, it's all practice. And if you want to be good at something, just do it. Even, yeah, even like, Instagram videos. Yeah. Get like better Do- if you do them. Go ahead, Doja sorry. Cat, the singer Doja Cat. She mm-hmm. started by making YouTube videos with a green screen in her basement. And her songs were like, I'm not a cat, I'm a cow. Like they were she was originally like a joke YouTube singer. Now she has top songs. Like she went from literally a green screen in her basement to selling top songs. So most people that. don't know the like the stories yeah. of like how people start out, but it's from all the practice. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you want to offer or tell, you know, we've really focused on creativity today. And like, um, I think I'm an advocate that creativity is part of our well-being. that no little key never walked into a kindergarten classroom and like, they're all finger painting and one kid isn't. You're like, why aren't you finger painting? And the kid's like, I'm not creative. That's not a thing we decide at a certain point that we're not creative and then we shut that thing down. We all have it within us. So is there anything you want to offer people to like bring that out of them, especially during this time where they have the opportunity to like really focus on that? Yeah. I mean, I think like our, you know, there's a pandemic and a recession going on and when recessions happen, like when we get out of this, things will be, will operate completely differently than when they did before. And one, you know, that's happened multiple times in history. This isn't unique. It's happened before. They say like um, Shakespeare wrote King Lear during the plague. All the theaters were shut down because of the plague. And so he just kept writing in his, in his home. Um, and so I think, think about how you're going to adapt to this situation you know, just keep doing whatever you're doing. Also think about what's unique about what you do and how can you leverage what's going on to your advantage? Because, you know, Zoom videos, whatever it is, whatever your business is, things are going to operate differently. And the people who embrace that faster are going to do really well. Like some people are going to come out of this this is an opportunity of a lifetime. It's an awful, difficult, terrible situation. It's also the opportunity of a lifetime. And I think people need to think about how they're going to work at that. And if that means writing one hour a day, if that means creating videos about what you do, whatever it is, keep it, you know, keep in mind, this is terrible. It's going to pass. Everything is going to be okay. How do you want to spend every day to make it your life better as we get through it? I think that would be my main advice is we're all going to get through this. It's awful. Don't let it drag you down. Let it lift you up. 
Yeah, I, there's a um, there's a lot of studies on um, on like the way neuro, on neuroscience in the brain, and they show like there's two there's kind of like I want to say like it's like a um, a fork in the road that like people that do a lot of work on like actually controlling the thoughts in their mind and deciding what they're going to focus on and where they're going to put their attention versus people that just let their mind do whatever the hell it wants and control them that when like and when i say that it could be like things like morning pages or meditating or like just you know uh, following your breath feeling you know your finger rubbing your fingers together feeling the senses it doesn't matter but the idea that when some things are going to happen and when something happens people who have not exercised that ability to like control their mind, everything just kind of snowballs downhill poorly. And that they've shown that through mindfulness exercises, that when something happens, not something you don't want to happen, that people that have exercised that their mind, the gray matter essentially lights up in their brain when like more, there's more activity there. And what happens when bad things happen is people go, what's the opportunity? Doesn't negate like that there's a bad thing, a pandemic, it could be anything, right? You get in a car accident, you, your wife or husband or partner leaves you, but that there's, there's that moment and it's a split and it's really how you've practiced using your mind. One side, it's like, oh my God, and it just snowballs to all bad things. And the other side goes, this is terrible. And there's an opportunity here if I'm willing to look for it. Doesn't negate that the bad thing happened, but that we can't control that bad things happen. It's about like who we're going to be about the moment afterwards. I love the idea that this can be a time to create. Um, and if you look back, oh, that you brought in the plague, there's tons of, um, like Isaac Newton created like all his, like not all his theories, but many of his theories that have changed the world. I think, I don't know if it was during the plague or some other, some other health scare where people had to not be in college back then. He did this at home. So what are you doing in this time where maybe you can't be doing what you thought you'd be doing or want to be doing? What could you be creating at home that could either change your life or maybe someone else's? Um, Kristen, thanks so much for being here, for um, not killing your boyfriend or the <laughs> fish during this time where you're stuck a lot inside. Um, thanks for producing comedy and trying to make people laugh. I think that's laughter is so important. Um, and thanks for just putting it out there, right? Like it takes some courage to just throw stuff out there and like let it land admit when you're wrong admit when it wasn't good and just keep growing and learn. Um, and thanks for sharing all your kind of tips and tricks and stories today. Best places for people to find you. Uh, Kristen Van Nest that sorry, Kristen Van Nest on Instagram. What's your, uh, uh, Twitter handle? Uh, same one, Kristen Van Nest. So Is just my name and Instagram or Twitter. Uh, Twitter, I'll share like, you know, it's more written. So I, I put my videos up there. I do funny characters, but also essays that I've written. Uh, I've had some like comedic personal essays and satirical pieces that just kind of talk about, you know, again, reflection of our society nice. <laughs> kind of stuff. So yeah, at Kristen Van Nest. Cool. Thanks again. Appreciate yeah, of course. You. Thanks for listening. Honestly, I'm just a rebel who found a cause and has a dream and I'm super grateful for your support. If you got anything from this, please help me out and share this podcast with one person today. You can find me at thedreammason.com or at inspirationalalex on Instagram. You are a dream mason because your dreams don't build themselves.